Sardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's episode of the Fraudology Podcast. If you've been listening to this podcast or if you know me or have heard me speak at other events, I think you know that one of the topics that I enjoy talking about fairly often is chargebacks. Uh, Some of you have even dubbed it my favorite topic in quotation marks. (laughs) And usually when I say that I enjoy chargebacks or talking about chargebacks, people start questioning my sanity, which honestly may be fair. (laughs) But One of the biggest reasons why I care about this is I care about the fairness. And to be honest, especially on the card not present merchant side and e-commerce, mobile, phone orders, etc., the rules aren't always fair. And so that's why I think it's important to know the rules so that you can still win the game uh, in quotation marks and to kind of play out that analogy. But I do think it's important and it's the backbone of a lot of companies because it really can impact your revenue. There have been, unfortunately, some businesses, a lot of businesses actually that have gone out of business because one or two chargebacks can really break a small business. So I've been on the merchant side for over 15 years and really seen the lack of fairness and I do know the details of the process. And so I often am advocating for merchants or providing education on Uh, root cause analysis and understanding where your chargebacks are coming from and why they're coming in so that you can prevent them from even coming in in the first place. And then kind of it's a one-two punch. So that's the first punch. And then the second punch is really helping merchants reply and respond to chargebacks that may have been filed unfairly and retaining and recovering your revenue. And that's something I've really dedicated a very large chunk of my career as well as my consultancy to over the last several years. But I've never really given a lot of thought to the cardholder side and how the rules may also be unfair to cardholders at times. And so when I got an email from Ellie Waldman at my chargeback, I was kind of curious and I also felt like, okay, I need to talk to this guy because, you know, what if he gets on and he's trying to, you know, I don't know say bad things about merchants or I didn't know what, you know, why he would even want to come on the podcast because they are advocates for cardholders in the card not present space. But as we had a conversation prior to this interview, I really came to understand that Ellie is propelled by a similar sense of justice as I am, but it's for cardholders. It's for people who are taken advantage of on the other side, especially by merchants that are scammy, for lack of a better word, and don't have their cardholders' best interests in mind or don't provide any services. And he'll go into all of that in the interview. But I really... I found it a fascinating conversation to have. And I actually, it it was illuminating. Like I actually learned quite a bit. And so I thought, okay, this is the kind of conversation that I enjoy having and that I think needs to be had on a public platform so others can listen in and, you know, really start thinking about 
hopefully some changes that can happen in some point in my lifetime uh, to this process. So anyway, I just kind of wanted to give you guys a little bit of, you know, information about this interview first before going into it. My chargeback uh, provides consumers with three core services, chargeback assistance, bank wire recalls, and intelligence reports on merchants and cryptocurrency transactions. So they really act like advocates for cardholders. And I think that you guys will also find this conversation really interesting. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what you learn from this. So without further ado, let you listen in on this interview with Ellie Waldman, and I will talk to you next week. Well, Ellie, I am really happy to have you on today's podcast and really looking forward to what you have to share with merchants about what you see from your perspective of chargebacks. Thanks so much for joining me today. Chris, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of my biggest goals about having this podcast is to be able to learn from different people in the ecosystem. And to be honest, I wasn't too sure where my chargeback fit in the ecosystem until we actually spoke a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, I think this would be really fascinating. So I think that that's a really good place to start. Most of the listeners to this show are on the merchant side of chargebacks. And we're most familiar with chargeback providers that dispute chargebacks on their behalf. Can you explain what my chargebacks role is and what the inspiration was to create the business? Sure. The goal with my chargeback was to kind of level the playing field. There's, like you said, there's a lot of providers right now that are helping merchants with their chargebacks. And and there was at this time, nobody in the playing field that was helping the consumers. So we wanted to help the consumers and understood that there's, there's a need for it. There's a lot of people that unfortunately get taken advantage of by merchants and they still are not able to understand how to how to talk to their bank about what exactly happened. So we, we saw the opportunity was definitely there. So when you say that consumers are getting taken advantage of by merchants, what type of merchants do you mean? Because obviously I primarily am working with right. known brands. And so I'm thinking right. of you know, not, big not companies. Not the good guys, not the good guys like the majority of merchants, but there are a handful of merchants out there who, who wake up in the morning to take advantage of customers, mm. the online scammers, right? The merchants who, who prey on, on elderly, for example, or on people that are on pension, somebody that they can use as their a client for a, for a scam operation. So those, those are typically the ones that we help the consumer side, but definitely not the, the normal everyday merchant, the, right. the, ones that are, the ones that are definitely abusing the system and abusing the cardholder at the same time. Right. So scammers that somehow got a merchant processing account, essentially. Yeah. And yeah. that's kind of a gray area, right? Because a lot <laughs> of times people assume that if they have a merchant processing account, they've passed some arduous you know, or, or you know, challenging underwriting process. But not all payment processors have the same criteria in underwriting. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot that basically just minimal checks and balances, minimal AML, and then you're then you have an opportunity to bill. I mean, you can process payments with for a myriad of reasons. I mean, one of them that we see the most is for investment and security related. So like an online scam for an investment opportunity. There's no real opportunity to invest. You're not really investing, but the merchant ID shows up as a investment or securities. And they're just taking advantage of cardholders in that respect. So yeah, definitely people are, are definitely getting taken advantage of. So in that case, the cardholder thinks that they are investing money and that they're going to get that money back plus, you know, whatever's earned. And exactly. instead it's just 
scamming them out of it and running yeah, away. Take, take their money and run, giving them like a simulated, let's say, trading account looks, feels, seems connected to the market, but there's, there's nothing there on the back end. There's nothing there that's holding the merchant accountable or liable. The SEC is not involved. They're, the other regulators in the world are not involved. So this is just, it's like a simulated trading account where cardholders are definitely getting taken advantage of. They're not making any profit. They're not making any real gains. It's all fictitious. It's a video game. So if the merchant is able to do this, and then at the same time, fool the bank, the issuing bank by saying you can't make a bum investment and then claim chargeback. Everybody knows. Oh, that. right. Right. Because there's the rules and the chargeback exactly. you know, world that says that for that re- that MCC code, you can't yeah. issue chargebacks on investments, which makes perfect sense. Right. Like if perfect I invested sense. in GameStop like several a few months ago when all that happened and then I didn't get my money back, I actually lost money. I can't then go to my credit card company and say, oh. I want my money back. It's almost like gambling is the same way, right? Like yeah. you, you can't issue chargebacks or that's also why you can't put legitimate gambling on credit cards for the most part, because you can't say, oh, I shouldn't have bet on that team. Right. And now exactly. you get a chargeback. So this is a loophole that these scammy merchants are using, knowing that chargebacks are so much harder. Yeah. Is that sure. okay? It's, it's a complex aspect for the, for the cardholder to go to their issuer and say to them, okay, look, I know that this was a scam. I woke up one morning and I had my life savings and the next day I didn't. I feel that it's a scam, but I'm not able to, to showcase it. I'm not able to prove it. Mm-hmm. And like, like in charge, it's not about what you feel. It's about what, and what you can prove. What you can prove. Yeah. Right. So it doesn't matter. Like if the cardholder, he goes to the bank and he says, Hey, look, this happened to me, but I, I I'm not really able to showcase as to why. So that's that's really where the the sphere that my chargeback helps out with with these complex card not present disputes. Interesting. So just taking that example a little bit further, when the cardholder is contacting their issuing bank, oftentimes the issuing bank because I just backing up a tiny bit, those of us in card not present, we I think have this and probably rightfully earned envisionment that a cardholder calls, and especially this happens in the US, right? Like a cardholder calls their issuing bank. And sometimes they don't even have to say that they want to file a chargeback or that it was fraud. They just will ask what it is. And in our heads, I think we envision the issuing bank just like holding open the door for them and saying, oh, of course, let me issue all these chargebacks for you. And and I know that that's not really what happens, but I think that that's, it can feel like that on the merchant side. For sure. What you're saying is because of the MCC code chosen by the merchant and because the cardholders don't know these rules, they call the issuing bank. And what usually happens when they call the issuing bank versus when you guys call the issuing bank? Yeah. So usually the when the issue usually the cardholder will try this themselves right they'll call up the mm-hmm. bank and they'll say look i need your help you know there's usually two things that happen one is the mcc is a straight out denial right off mm-hmm. the bat or it's the timeline because the banks are so well versed in the fraud aspect so what happens then sometimes is that you're outside of the time so to speak for the 60 days or the 90 days or even 120 days but one of the technicalities within chargebacks is that it really is 120 days from the last day of expected service, right. if this was an actual ongoing service. You know, in this case, for example, we argue that the expectation was that the cardholder was to receive the services through and until he, he finally canceled. Trying to explain that though to the bank, it's not, it's not a cakewalk at all. I will agree with you a thousand percent that the sheer volume of chargebacks that are initiated against merchants, regular, honest, good people, we're not talking scammers, regular, good, honest merchants 
who are just doing their job are getting unfortunately very much taken advantage of by cardholders regularly and and so much so that they're they're going out of business because of it the cost of doing business is going up the cost of of acquisition of a client is going up all of these things and that's a huge issue but it's not just like well the cardholder calls up and says fraud yes unfortunately the banks are very well versed with and they hit that dispute button and almost instantly there's a temporary credit with complex disputes this is where really where my chargeback i think shines is that we know the technicalities. We know these insides and outs, and we don't focus on fraud. I don't focus at all on fraud. Cardholders are not going to call me up and say, hey, Ellie, what do I do about this, that, and the other for a friendly fraud or fraud case? That's easy for them, and they know what to do. And the issuer, fortunately, unfortunately, depending you know, on the circumstances, know how to handle it. But in these complex cases, the complex cases of card not present, then you're going to run into an issue where, where it's not so cut and dry, and the issuers are not just rushing to, to hit that dispute button. So we, we encounter many, many denials, unfortunately, many times. And you're trying to showcase to your to the bank, to the issuer, why, number one, this is not a valid reason to deny because of the MCC mm-hmm. uh, or because of the timeline that you are still within time. But again, like the, the issuers have been trained so well in fraud that when they hear that 60 days outside, like, nah, there's nothing we can do, sir. And that's, mm. that's usually where it, where it stops and starts many times. I mean, this is really the only recourse that these cardholders have to get this money back that they were scammed out of, right? And yeah. so this is where you guys come in and really advocate for them. Yeah, we we try to to level the playing field. We try to really make it that the scammers can't just get off into the sunset and going into a Caribbean island, sipping on Mai Tais with somebody else's hard-earned money. The chargeback is designed for, for cardholders. Now, like we spoke about prior, there, there definitely is a system that's needing to be corrected. You can't have 70 to 80% of chargebacks being committed, amounting in billions of dollars against merchants and saying that that's not a problem. At the same time, though, you can't have merchants taking advantage of cardholders and, and just having them being able to walk off into the sunset. So there, there really has to be a checks and balances. But yeah, 100%. Right. And speaking of checks and balances, I mean, I was kind of sitting here thinking, well, the way that the chargeback system is designed. I mean, there are a lot of was created out of good reason. And it was in one way to catch, so to speak, fraudulent merchants, right? So once a merchant goes over a specific threshold, 0.9% for Visa, 1.0% for MasterCard and Amex and Discover kind of vary a little bit depending on other circumstances, that that should probably like self-correct itself, right? Because you would assume that the scammy merchants are getting high percentages of chargebacks. So they'll be shut down. They'll be on the card brands radar. They'll be on their merchant processors radar. But the whole point that when they use the MCC code of investments, most of the time cardholders are, you know, stopped at the issuer from even filing that chargeback. Then that can mean that these accounts, these merchant accounts can go undetected for a long time. Yeah, for sure. It's not self-identifying or correcting itself the way it was, you know, designed in the first place. Yeah. It's definitely not. I mean, the, the system, like you said, was designed for the cardholder to be able to utilize a piece of plastic in peace of mind. So if if the system, though, is not being sort of like activated, then nobody's really going to pay attention to it. Nobody's really going to be able to say, hey, this is a problem. We should be able to correct this. And simply because an, a certain MCC, for example, was used, it doesn't really mean anything. You can call your, I mean, let's be honest, an MCC is just a, a fee and a form that you fill out. Hmm. It doesn't really matter yeah. you know, to my acquirer who possibly may be involved on the side, whatever, doing some shady Turning things. Turning a blind eye. Yeah, yeah blind eye, whatever. What yeah, exactly. Are, they don't, right. it's like, oh, okay, fine. You're a laundromat? No problem. 
oh, you're today, you're an investment securities? No problem. That's fine too. The system is really meant to protect the cardholders, but like it's becoming now where where both the cardholders and merchants need protection. I think, like I said just a few minutes ago, like I think that those of us who are on the merchant side are so jaded sometimes thinking like we're the victims. Yeah. But it's, it's, I think it's important. And most of the time, this. and most of the times you guys are, that's the truth. I mean, 70 to 80% of the charge, like, like those numbers are, are not inflated. Right. They're, they're, if right. anything, they're under deflated, but like, right. this is that, that's the problem. When you have so much of chargebacks going against the merchants, somebody should wake up and say, Hmm, wait a second, time out. Something should be corrected here. Yeah, right. at the same time, what are we doing about to protect cardholders? So it's it's like a, a system here where, where things have to be definitely handled. Yeah, we definitely are in, agree- in agreement about that for sure. Yeah. So without going into specifics, how is my chargeback compensated for their work? We charge uh, an upfront contingency fee We after we've already vetted the case. If we mm-hmm. see that there's a possibility for a chargeback, we'll take the client on, we'll do all the work, and then thereafter, we, we get a success fee. But the client pays us directly, and we remove probably, I don't know exact numbers, but a good portion of our, of our clients this is not a valid chargeback. I'm sorry. Mm. You know, the, the company was regulated, for example, mm. or they did have proper authorization. So we, we see a lot of cases that, that come to us. And unfortunately, many times cardholders just say, okay, look, I got taken advantage of. I don't see it from your perspective. I tried to work it out with the merchant. The merchant's not responsive. It was not able to give me back my money. Chargeback. It has to fit into the framework. It can't just be like, unfortunately, like now where you have so many cardholders just calling in and just making that chargeback. And it's not necessarily in the framework, but the issuer says, okay, yeah, it sounds, yeah, it sounds about right. There definitely has to be that system of accountability and checks and balances. Yeah. And right now there isn't a lot of accountability or checks and balances, right? Because it's all kind of self-governed, as you said, like there's no accountability on what, from what MCC code is selected at the very beginning, all the way to the end. And it's self-governed, which is great in theory, but humans are humans. And Whether that's intentional or because this is also a pretty complex industry and not everyone understands how to look at risk management or AML or other things, KYC practices, know your customer, all of those things. You know, there's obviously bad merchants slipping through the cracks, just like there are a lot of, for lack of better, more you bad know, card holders, bad card holders in the mix call it, too. Call it what it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be a jerk, but <laughs> they're bad card holders. They're abusing the system yes. that, that is designed to protect other people. Right. And and as a whole now, as a whole, the system has has flaws. The system yeah. has has major issues. So bad card holders, bad actors, let's call them. Yeah. Merchants, bad card holders, bad actors. Yeah. And though we are on different sides, so to speak, of the equation, we can both agree on that. That yeah. the system has flaws and could be improved upon. What are some of those things that you've identified of if you had a magic wand or if you were asked, Ellie, how do we fix this? What would you mm. suggest and recommend? Well, so, I mean, there's a few things. I mean, first, a better education. Education mm. is, is, I think, a massive one where issuers do not need to go to training on chargebacks, whether it be because of the cost that's associated with it, whether it be that, that the card networks are not mandating it. So education, I think, is the forefront. Having having more of an open network with an opportunity for people like myself to come in and say, okay, I want to educate, I want to handle the chargebacks uh, to be an outsourced third party, for example. But the issuer has to select me and then register me and kind of like vouch for me and say, yeah, my chargeback is, is the bee's knees. And we're going to pay, not only that, we're going to pay $5,000 per annum to have them. 
So if I'm making my cost proposal on the savings, for example, of outsourcing their chargebacks, I have to factor in that additional $5,000 cost. That makes it virtually impossible for, for providers like us to be able to help people, to be able to say, okay, let's fix the system. I would also say that the level of fraud that's taking place should be an alarming number to the card networks and and they should be able to sit down, not necessarily with me. I mean, they didn't ask me yet, but they should come and say, hey, let's put our collective heads together on this because this, this is a massive problem. So I think that there is work that can be done, but education, ensuring that the, the, the banks that the issuers attend or at least have access to training, right? Like if I want to train them again, I have to have a bid. And I can't get that unless somebody vouches for me who puts in five thousand. Like it's just there, it's 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 stacked against the cardholders, it's stacked against the merchants. And when you have such a large volume of, of fraud and friendly fraud taking place, some somebody should have said a while ago. Another thing like that could be done, for example, is for high-risk merchants. High-risk merchants should definitely have uh, a license, for example, in recognized financial license. If you're if you're billing with with a high category, with a high risk merchant category code, you should be expected that you're going to be able to so to show, yep, my my acquirer did all the AML, all the KYC checks, everything is good, and and everything is fine, and then be able to process accordingly. There, yeah, there's there's a few other things, but maybe for another time. I am with you on all of those things. And actually, I have a few from my perspective, too. And I think we're pretty aligned. One that's really big and anyone who's listened to this podcast, and I know you have too, knows that this is like my hill I'm going to die on, but issuer accountability on reason codes. I think that one of the, I don't know, and I'm not trying to take anyone maybe I could be wrong or giving someone too much credit, but one of the reasons why the fraud numbers, I, at least for me, I don't take them as seriously, especially around fraud chargebacks is that I know from working with so many merchants that that's become a catch-all. And so that's not really, it's, it's the issuer taking the customer's word for it. And they just say the word fraud. They're not saying, okay, does that mean that your card wasn't in your possession and you really didn't do it? Right. And so in some cases, 50 to 70% of those chargebacks are not true fraud. And so now you're messing up the system and it's all kinds of stuff. So that's, there's a lot of reasons for me thinking issue accountability is a big deal, but that's one of them, those root causes. I also agree with better education on chargebacks from end to end for everyone in the ecosystem. Yeah. I locked out that my very first job in the industry, actually my first two were on the call center side for two different processors. One was an acquirer, one was an ISO. So for the acquirer, it was six months of training on everything about the credit card process, but chargebacks were a couple weeks. And then actually maybe it was six weeks of training, not six months. That was a long time. I can't remember now. It was also a long time ago. It was like almost 20 years ago at this point. And it was before I had my child, which means I had a lot more in my brain then, so I've lost some of it. And then on top of that, like, you know, then I went to another processor and got more training too, from a different perspective. So that has served me so well in my, in my career. And sometimes I'll talk to somebody who's been in this industry a long time and they'll be like, okay, so can you tell me the difference between my gateway and my processor? And I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. I can, but wow. Yeah. So, and those are just little tiny things, right? So yeah. Yeah. And so I think issuers, you know, acquirers, ISOs. Everyone. merchants and and even to some extent cardholders learning just some sure. best practice yeah. like credit card hygiene of yeah. when somebody offers you I mean just in your example someone offers you the moon and the stars like know that right. you're not always going to have this 
blanket opportunity to get your money back whenever you want, like you think you do when making those decisions. And there's too much trust in the consumer side thinking that somebody, somebody vetted it somewhere, right? Like they couldn't have a website. They couldn't have a business license. They couldn't have a merchant processing if they weren't legitimate. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not the case. So I'm hundred percent with you on that. But I think, a, yeah, so you made no, a good go. point about the, uh, the reason codes. It's, it's, yeah. We see that a lot also that if the issuer screws up and puts in the wrong reason code, for example, then the merchant has the opportunity always to rebut on that. But like that comes down to, I'm saying it like very, very clear. My documentation is very, very clear. And yet we still have times where, where we're not have to go into the ombudsman or the regulator to say, look, the issuer was given this information, yet they processed it under this reason code. So the reason codes are very, very important when it comes yeah. to chargebacks. If it's wrong, I mean, your case is over. One of the frustrating things with, with chargebacks is you don't get that second chance. You don't get the opportunity yeah. to come and to like, my doctor says, hey, you, you got to get this uh, surgery, whatever, God forbid. But like, I can go get a second, that, a second opinion on that. You know, I can go to my mechanic and, and talk to them about it. I know Seinfeld did then. It was like a big thing when he, his second opinion. it wasn't, it wasn't well received by his, second, by his first opinion. But the, the point is that that doesn't happen in the chargeback world. And that's, that's a, that's a problem mm. also. Like there should be an opportunity to say, okay, let's, let's say instead of having the issuer have to worry about going to arbitration, what if this just gets off the flagpole directly to the card networks? Now they, they're definitely not going to want to do this because the volume, but imagine if you take out the subjectivity from both the issuer and the acquirer. Yeah. And it's just facts. It's, it's okay. What did you expect? What did you receive? And the merchant rebuts and it goes to arbitration and that's it. And, and somebody at, at the card network sits down and says, hmm, that's interesting. Okay. Okay. And that's it. Once you have that subjectivity though, there's so much that can go into it. You can mess up on the, on the, on the reason code. You can have all these possibilities of things. Issuers just like, nah, whatever. I'm not, I'm not in the mood. I'm not in the mood of processing this today. So I don't believe you. And I have all these crazy things. So like, it's imperative. The reason code is correct, but that leads again, that's like a chain reaction of the chargebacks. All of that stuff is, is needs to be looked at. Let's call it, let's mm-hmm. call it looked at. And how can we make this better for everybody? Yeah. I mean, that's good to hear because I mean, obviously I'm coming at this from one side of the fence, very clear perspective and thinking right. of it from merchants, but it's good to hear that there's also a case to be made from the cardholder side for the issuers to select the right raising codes as well. Yeah. That feels to me like, okay, that's a win-win and that's a way to advocate to card brands as well in a perfect world when that right in a perfect world that's also something i would add to our list right like the ability for industry experts like ourselves to be able to have a line to the card brands to have some input yeah uh it feels like they are very like introspective a lot and they look at their own data and that's great and i there are times when I would love to see their data, but actually a lot of times, but at the same time, like there's other pieces there are so many consequences of the chargeback process that, or just in general in the payment process that someone on the card brand side is so far removed from that. They don't realize it, right? Like there's one of the chargeback changes. Gosh, this is off the top of my head. So I'm going to remember what one of the updates for this, this fall going in place is that the that cardholders can't claim 
that an item was not received within a short time of a window, which is actually a great thing, right? Because the pandemic definitely highlighted the fact that shipping isn't always going to be in two days. And so you you need to wait a couple of weeks to make sure that maybe the carrier didn't get it lost in a warehouse somewhere and then they found it and sent it. Because there's been so many cases of, especially the bigger brands that have had thousands and thousands or hundreds of thousands of orders to send out weekly, they'll cardholder will call and say, I thought the estimated delivery was two days ago. I haven't gotten it yet. The card or the department store will issue a credit and then the cardholder gets it two days later. I was actually talking to one of the biggest department stores in the US just a few days ago who said that this has become a really big problem for them. So that new rule in the chargebacks is amazing. However, what they didn't Uh take into account is that most shipping partners only keep the tracking information for 30, 45 days. Mm. So if the merchant is now not getting this, did not receive chargeback right. several weeks later because of this new rule in place, yeah, now the merchant doesn't have the documentation to prove that the item did get right. sent once it happens. Because And these are just the kinds of things that you know, card brands aren't going to think about that. Because why would you, right? Until you're the end user. And so these are the kinds of things that had they, I mean, I'd like to think in theory that if had they run those past me or someone else that works with merchants so much on a regular basis ahead of time before publishing these. Yeah, for sure. And I would have gotten a working group together with the top merchants. I mean, the whole thing, but. I load. It's very like, hmm. you're not being consulted. I'm not being asked. And that's for better, for worse. But like now this is the issue. Like now you have so many billions of dollars in chargebacks. And you have so many cardholders getting taken advantage of, and you have this and that and the other. So and like, merchants being taken advantage, like both sides merch- aren't both sides. It's the, aren't it's, winning. It's a bad, yeah. It's a it's it's a bad system right now that is I think antiquated that could be updated, and have that open conversation with SMEs like ourselves and and in the industry and say, okay, hey, Caris, what do you think? Ellie, what do mm-hmm. you have to say? Let's talk about it from this perspective. And it's a collaboration. That was actually my very third, my very last uh, thing I had written down as far as I mean. Not to say that that's the last on my list because I could make this list very long of all the changes that you know sure. I think should sure. happen to the to the system. And I mean, in some ways, I think that it'd almost be better just to kind of blow it up and start it over from scratch again because, to your point, it is an antiquated system. There wasn't anyone who was like 30 years ago saying, "Oh, there's this thing called the internet, internet and it's yeah. going to be so big." They only knew, "Oh, there's just a couple companies trying to make right. purchases off of it," but a lot right. of them, from what I've heard and I remember from even 15, 20 years ago, it was, that's not going to be a thing. Like people aren't really going to take it up. It's just for the kids. Right. (laughs) So, and so they didn't really create this process with the internet in mind, with online or mobile transactions in mind. They basically just looped in card, not present into Modo. And there's just so many differences, but the last thing, you know, of the three things I think would be most important if I had to choose my top three, I mean, obviously issue accountability on reason codes, education, and then collaboration is last. And I'm obviously so big on collaboration with merchants among each other, but I'm also big on collaboration with, you know, them learning from other areas too. And all of us learning from each other, because I think back to just this last conversation we just had, like, it's almost like the card brands are reading the owner's manual of a vehicle, but they've never actually driven it. Where to put it. And it's yeah. like, and I see this, I use this analogy 
in a few different scenarios, but in this one specifically, I think it's, they might know where the brake is in the car, right? But they don't know exactly when you need to tap it before you get to a red light or they don't know exactly how the windshield wipers work or whatever it is because they haven't actually driven the car. The end users, the people who have actually driven the car, the merchants, the issuers, and then the people who are the card holders. I mean, the merchants and the card holders, and then the people who are supporting them and who understand those sides they're just as important, right? And right, exactly. so instead of having these organizations kind of speak from on high of what the the changes and the rules are going to be, and then having everyone else have to carry it out, what if it were a conversation? What if right. it were, hey, pie in the sky? Like what? And I bet they'd learn a lot from that. Yeah, and I would. I mean, I'd, I'd be. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, it's, there has to be just that understanding. Like, this isn't like to come and attack or whatever. Like, no. let's just correct this system. Let's yeah. let's correct a system where merchants are going out of business regularly because of the cost of chargebacks. Let's and put a system. Cardholders are and filing bankruptcy, getting, right? Exactly, because they're exactly, getting exactly. I, that's, I think why I wanted to have this conversation with you on the podcast was to highlight a few things. One, none of the things on my list were let's drag the card brands down because I also have empathy for just how big of a system this has become for them and how siloed they are within their organizations, even just from the issuer and the merchant side and just all the things. But I think it is a good opportunity for merchants to understand that this isn't a system that's benefiting all one side either and to kind of help with that collaboration and education piece right like to learn from each other I think so that was why I thought this was an important conversation to have because I honestly didn't realize like I kind of always assumed that you guys were similar to all other chargeback companies but then when I looked at your website I saw issuer I was or cardholder I was like oh wait a second you guys are trying like like they need help like taking advantage of us but when we had a conversation (laughs) I learned more (laughs) No, definitely. We're not, we're, we're not pro chargeback. We don't endorse serial chargebackers. We, we want a fair system. We right. want a fair system. Right. You know? And that I could have easily been like, oh yeah, but well, and I mean, let's be honest, it took me a, a week or two to respond to your email, but a lot of people know that that's kind of common these days, unfortunately for me. So that wasn't personal, but yeah, no, but just in general, like I was like, Hmm. But then when I learned more, I learned. Right. And that's, I think what we all can do. And that's, that's the first step to change, I think is learning and and sharing with each other. So at least in my Susie sunshine world, it is. (laughs) No, I I think that that's, that's really awesome. And I really love the fact too, that you guys, it's very similar to what I've done in my consulting for the last several years. And I'm now transitioning my business a little bit, though I'm still supporting merchants with chargebacks in a different way. But when I figured out like what works and what doesn't work and these little things and all those. So helping them and sharing that information then increases their chances to help them retain money. Just like for you guys, you've learned. And I know, I know part of it for you guys is you've built a lot of relationships on the issuing side as well. And you've learned a lot about that side of the process. Is there anything that you could share from that side that might be helpful for merchants to understand what to protect themselves you're saying or to yeah yeah like for to help sorry I should have clarified so merchants could understand how can they do better or what right or something about maybe the process that they probably don't know because they just don't know much at all about that side of the fence yeah I think it's just it goes back to the basics excellent customer service you know excellent record keeping you should always use AVS whenever possible have have excellent customer service expectations for the customer if the customer says that for whatever you're going to run into a shipping delay let the customer know that 
let the customer be upfront with them. Over communicate, I think is, is definitely going to be better than, than under. When a, when a merchant, when a cardholder tries to resolve it with you, don't let it escalate to chargeback. Try to talk to them, try to find out what the issue is, what's going on. Again, you're not going to be able to prevent those merchants, those, the cardholders who are, who are just, let's call it what it is, just jerks and, and utilize the system to get a chargeback and a free product. You're not going to be mm-hmm. able to, to fight that. Going back to what you said earlier about tracking, get that, get a, get a screenshot of the tracking information. Make sure that you have as much information as you can and always fight the chargeback, always fight it. A lot of times merchants are, are not fighting it and they just, it's a cost of, of business. I, I say that's insane. Mm-hmm. Fight the chargeback, come back with your information because in the end of the day, it has to be escalated from, from the issuer side. So the, mm-hmm. the onus is always on the cardholder to prove what the, what the merchant said is not correct. So if the, if the cardholder comes back and says, yeah, this didn't happen, this didn't happen, then the merchant should be able to come back and say, no, this did happen, this did happen, and here's the information to showcase it. So just good records. This is like just basic, but like, like we do this here, like if there's a wrong address and mm-hmm. you know, corresponding, call the client and just be like, hey, by the way, I just want to make sure that you want to authorize this, this transaction, you live at this address, et cetera. And that way there's, there's a little bit more communication. Again, you're not going to be able to prevent everything, but I think just best business practices would be, would be beneficial for, for merchants. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a couple of thoughts I had in those and 95% of them, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But uh, there are a couple like taking screenshot of the, I, I could hear people listening to the podcast being like, yeah, I wish I, for like really huge big box companies, they can't proactively take right. screenshots, right of, right? of the tracking information before it happens, which is why that time period. So if if there's not going to be a chargeback, right? Like if they get chargebacks on like 60 basis points of their like 0.6% of all their transactions, is it worth the data storage? Well, you got to make these decisions and they're all very different depending on the situation. And then the other thing is, I also agree with you that it's important for merchants to respond to chargebacks. I do think that they should be selective and, and do their own internal investigation. And if the original transaction turned out to be true fraud, or if the the merchant messed up in some way, they didn't receive it or whatever, then I don't think those should be disputed, but I do agree right. with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure I know that that's what you meant, but I was just clarifying. Right. Yeah, um, thank you. Th- there are some chargeback management companies on the merchant side who think that it's a better odds to throw everything up against the wall and see what sticks. And I've actually seen um, that actually impact merchants win rate in the opposite way uh, because their processors eyes will just glaze over and they're like, I don't know what you're fighting for real and what you're not. So being some kind of selective there is, can be helpful, but I've actually heard from an issuer, one of the biggest in the U S who has said that Oftentimes, if they have a gray area chargeback that they're like, hmm, probably shouldn't, like, this is probably on us and our cardholder, but obviously they want to, you know, make their cardholder happy. They'll look and see if the merchant responds to their chargebacks. And if they don't ever respond to their chargebacks, they're like, sweet, we're just going to throw this over the fence. Right. So that goes back to, like, I wasn't Mm -hmm. aware of that. That's a really interesting point. See, that goes back to, like, again, the system as a whole, collectively, needs to be fixed that can't yeah. be you can't, I know. you can't have it like a dice and just like ah, I'm a, yeah today's chargeback not chargeback huh? yeah. i don't know maybe uh, you can't have that I, I wasn't aware of that but that's yeah definitely yeah there there are a few issuers who want to be part of the collaboration piece and right. i'm very grateful that i know a lot of them or most of them right. And right. I have been able to learn from them. Like what advice would you suggest? Yeah. I would love to have them come on the podcast, but I know that they 
would not do that, <laughs> especially since they're such a big company. But those are the kinds of tidbits though, that I do enjoy sharing with merchants because it's like, no, you sure. should be now on the other side of the fence. They also look to see like, what's your win, right? They, or if you send more chargebacks to arbitration and then what's your rate there. So I, I wouldn't say that all issues are looking at that closely, but definitely to have one of the biggest, I mean, definitely one of the f- top five, if not type top three biggest issuers in the U.S. say that that's part of their strategy. Yeah. It's like, that makes yeah. me want merchants to yeah, pay no, attention sure. and for don't sure. write it off as a cause of doing business. Cause no. that, my friend, that also is a big pet peeve of mine as well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> thousand percent. That because you're also allowing, you're encouraging that bad behavior by those bad card holders when Correct. you're not enforcing the system. This goes back to the, like, it's so subjective. The system, yeah. the system is just based on whether I like you, whether I don't, whether I'm having a bad day and mm-hmm. you know, I get in a fight with my spouse on the way to work and I spill <laughs> coffee and I'm already in traffic and I like, everything's just going wrong. Yeah. And then Ellie calls up and he's like, yeah, not happening today. Or yeah. it's, it, it shouldn't be like that. That doesn't make any sense that, that the issuers can decide on, on a person's ability to have a chargeback. It's again, it's facts. What happened black on white, put it out there. And if, if the cardholder can't demonstrate that clearly it shouldn't be a chargeback. It shouldn't be left up to like a crapshoot with a merchant with a with the issuer just kind of said, mm, yeah, I'm feeling like it. Maybe. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I've often <laughs> said that to some of my clients, like especially when I go in and do like chargeback training for their teams, and they'll ask me seriously, what are some things that get I'm like, to be honest with you, like I think it has to do with is it a full moon on a Tuesday? Yeah, and what did the person uh, have for breakfast? And they're correct. like, they look at me like they think I'm joking or like no, I'm no, being really percent. hyperbolic. And I'm like, yeah. no, it's very, very subjective. Yeah, very and subjective. That's also why I can't ever walk into a merchant location and they want to know, and I understandably so, like how much can you help me increase my win rate by? Right. It's like it's right. so subjective. I can yeah. I can get you to the closest and I can feel confident that I can conservatively save exactly. you X or get you to X in my head. I think I can get you to Y, but I don't want to overpromise sure. that because I don't know. There's so many yeah. variables and that shouldn't that's, be that's the case either. Thousand percent. That's it what we tell our clients also. We say, look, look, we can't guarantee you that you're going to get right. your money. We can't because I'm not the one pushing that dispute button. Like right. in my first couple of weeks here, I actually thought I really did. I really, I really thought like in the issuers when they hit that dispute button and like confetti starts raining and sirens are going off and everybody's like happens slapping high fives. It's not like that. It's no, I, no. I found out it's not, but, <laughs> but, but I can't, I can't, I can't guarantee that they're going to actually do it. Right. But you know, that's they, why you take I, it on a contingency. Right. And then you exactly. do your very best and hope exactly that that's exactly. the case I mean, that, yeah. I, I had a bank, it doesn't matter which country, but I had a bank that they, they outright just said to me, I don't believe you. I mean, we're in the middle of a conversation. I'm presenting facts. He's like, no, no, I don't believe you. I'm like, you can't say that. You can't tell me that you don't believe me. You can't, you, it's not my word versus yours. It's, it doesn't, it's showing me what happened, but that's a subjective attitude. That's where yeah. it's like, nah, I could choose to make this dispute rain confetti from the sky today. I, I, I can choose to. And that's a problem. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's another part of this mm. ecosystem that I believe can be enhanced. Yeah, no, I agree with you. When we spoke on the phone prior to this interview, I, you had told me a story about somebody that you knew at a bank, and we don't have to say what country or anything, that right. had, you know, gone out and had it, and I just thought it was so good at explaining the subjectivity. It was so crazy. The chargeback, would you mind sharing that story? Sure. Like, yeah. Listeners. No bank names, obviously. No, no, no. No um, bank names, no, no people. country. It's irrelevant. To but, protect uh, one, the 
innocent yeah. not so innocent <laughs> the not so innocent there was a there was a bank that i built up a relationship with who i call and i'd say hey let's call him john and i'd call him up like regularly just to ask for his advice from from an issuer perspective how to how, what else i can add in from documentation etc and one day i called him on a monday and I'm, I'm calling him hey john hope you had a great weekend blah 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 and i have this question he's, he's just cut me off like almost instantly he's like ellie listen today's not a good day I'm like, okay, sure. No problem. And I'm not really like expecting like an explanation, but he kind of gave one. He's like, listen, my, my buddy got engaged over the weekend and there was just a ton of, of bachelor parties from one to the next to the next. And I've been drinking since like Friday afternoon, nonstop. And I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little not all there. And I'm like, right, I got you, buddy. I, I hear you loud and clear. I'll speak to you tomorrow. But unfortunately the person, let's say that called him in the midst of his, of his, of his hangover maybe didn't just get, okay, today's not a good day, but he, they, they actually spoke to him doing his job. Mm -hmm. So now all of a sudden it's like him picking up the phone and saying, look, hey, sir, whatever, I want to help you obviously, but there's, there's really nothing that I can do. And he's not in the right frame of, of mind. I don't fault him for getting, coming into work drunk or not. That's not, that's not what the issue is. But the issue is like, how can he be on the phone talking to a, a, a cardholder about a potential chargeback that, that he's not in the right frame of mind? That, right. That's how things happen. In a subjective in a subjective process. Type of Correct. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. 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 You you're, especially for these chargebacks that are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars for the merchant and for the cardholder, this is significant to significant. business and livelihood. Yeah. And to yeah. have that entire decision based on if the person, you know, showed up to work drunk or not. Yeah. And that's just one example. I mean, it can happen a million but other one. times, yeah. right? That's something that I know is going to anger people, but it's also, but we're not meant to anger. It's just more like, again, education and collaboration. This is what it is. Yeah. This is this what, is what it happens is. when you have a subjective process. Yeah. Yeah. Subjective 100%. things happen and it would may be different if another person within that bank even looked at it. Yeah. And there's yeah. so many other side doors and, and paths we could go down, but on that, but I wanted to just ask a couple other questions. How do you see, even though the, even though the chargeback rules are the same internationally, there's obviously different cardholder behavior in different countries, different issuers looking at the cardholders versus like one example I always have in the U.S. is just how because the credit card issuers are so competitive with each other because the average consumer has I don't even know if it's six or eight credit cards they're all usually from different issuing banks so they all want right. to be top of wallet that's different yeah. than in Europe where I might have three credit cards but they're all from the same bank and financial yeah, institution that's a good point so how are things how do you see the chargeback process being different for uh, cardholders yeah. in different okay. countries? That's also an excellent question. In the U.S., way more chargeback centric. They're they're just going to give in and they're they're customer focused more. So they're going to listen to the cardholder way more. They're going to say, "Yeah, chargeback, chargeback, chargeback," which makes sense as to why you guys are seeing such a large spike in the chargebacks, in specifically in the U.S. Other countries, in South Africa, for example is is not it's not like that it's very much often just the wild west and you're just trying to just trying to showcase your case banks in the scandinavian countries for example are way more like okay tell me exactly put this really really simple not to downplay them that's not what i mean but like to to make it like make this very very you know uh easy for us there's countries that i've dealt with in new zealand 
also uh, banks in New Zealand, for example, that are also very much wanting to assist and to help. But again, when, when you're dealing with the complex disputes, it doesn't really matter where you are in the world. You have to really showcase what exactly happened within the framework of the, of the chargeback. So for us, we've definitely seen that there are banks in the U.S. for sure that are, are like, we can almost say for almost for certainty that there's going to be a temporary credit, that they're at least going to raise the dispute. But there's many times when we're pulling teeth with banks all over the world trying to explain. And again, that comes into the complexity of it. We're not dealing with fraud. So if, yeah. if this was fraud, I would imagine that a bank in the UAE and Singapore and, and America should be in, in theory the same. But when it comes to comes to the complexity, again, that comes back to the subjectivity. So it's how mm-hmm. well you can explain the case. English definitely becomes a, a, a barrier sometimes. I can I can argue well in English. I right. can't do that in, in in an Asian country. So right. it really depends on what you can on what you can showcase. Very interesting stuff. Well, I really appreciate you joining me. I think like just as a last question, I'd love for you to share one of the most memorable cases <laughs> that you had as far as an opportunity to help a cardholder. And I think that was probably the best way to to end this conversation. Sure. There was a a woman, an elderly woman who had been defrauded of approximately 80,000 and change of like her entire nest egg, her life savings. And she was elderly. Like you could tell she was definitely elderly in her voice and she was frail. And she had, like you said, many different cards. She had four different issuers. We were successful to get her back all of her money on on all four cards. When the money was permanent at the end of the dispute, we we were speaking to the to the issuer just to confirm the permanence. She starts breaking down. Like she actually mm-hmm. starts crying on the phone. And then she says to me, she goes, Ellie, if you ever make it out here, please come by and we'll have a cup of tea. And I'm like, you got it. hundred mm-hmm. percent. I would love to do that. There's a lot of good stories. There's a lot of good stories. There's a lot of stories that unfortunately people don't get back their money. There's a, a story where I was on the phone with an Irish bank and uh, I'm explaining it to the to the bank and they wouldn't budge. So the cardholder interjects in like a really thick, like Irish accent. I want to do an Irish accent. Can I do an Irish accent? Is that okay? Is that sure. Go for it. No, no, no. Right. Go for it. I, I've i learned <laughs> not editing. to do accents on uh, recording only because mine are awful and horrible. Oh, okay. I don't want to insult anyone. No, no, no. So you go gets, ahead. <laughs> He gets on and he's like, he starts, he's, he's, he starts swearing, but like, I'm not going to swear. He's like, I don't understand. He's explaining it in perfect English. Why won't you listen to him? And I'm like, and I'm just kind of sitting there like this. I'm like, mm-hmm. Right. Why don't you listen to me? So that was a memorable one, but there's, there's been a few of them. It's, that was uh, a much better Irish good. accent than some of my accents. It wasn't terrible. I really wanted to terrible. hear you say that his, uh, his head is like a orange on a toothpick. <laughs> No, from, he didn't uh, say that, but he was you know, he was so very adamant as to why I'm more I'm, Scottish than yeah. Than Irish, I don't know which one it was. It was yeah, Irish, yeah, Scottish, yeah, but no, I, no. I, no, I'm saying uh, that in in so I married Nax murder. I think the guy's oh, accent oh, is sorry. more Irish yeah. or Scottish uh, than Irish. But if you haven't seen that movie, it's it's a yeah, good. No, that's like funny, Mike yeah. Myers. That's back in the day. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like all back the, in the day. all the voices he used to have before Austin Powers and the rest. Right. It's a good. I love that part. Good one with teenagers. He was a funny kid. He was a funny guy with the, the Irishman. He, he was funny. And I, and I enjoyed it because I'm like, it's true. Right. Just listen to me. Right. You know? <laughs> Sometimes we need that like point person, right? That that person to kind of like cheer us on and be like, yeah, see, they know yes, what they're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. That was a good moment. <laughs> well, that is awesome. And it just, it sounds like what you guys are doing is just so fulfilling. And uh, yeah. I know that uh, feeling. Yeah. It's, it's a good feeling. We try really hard. 
We got a great team. I hired somebody out from from an actual bank who spent 25 years in, in as an issuer. She's my country manager. So we have a lot of good talent. We have a lot of people who who are passionate. We have a lot of people who care, and we 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 recognize that there there's something that is there. And there's something that can be done. So I think collectively between working with the issuing side, working from your side, like from the acquiring side, there, there's work to be done. There's work to be done. And I think we're all up for the challenge. Yeah. I mean, let's hope that maybe one day we'll both be invited to the same table to provide awesome. constructive uh, feedback on specific and detailed, as well as the larger global and overreaching general changes that can be made to the system. That'd be amazing. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me again. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.